Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and we are doing the Coronavirus Investing Series, and we have Jeremy Raper back on the show. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, Eric. How's it going? I am good. I want to uh, chat about Qantas Airlines uh, today. You know, a, you know a thing or two about that business. <laughs> I'm not sure how much I know about any business these days, but uh, at least that's what the market's telling me. I don't know these businesses that well. But um, Well, look, the, market, the market is telling me that I'm an idiot, so one of us is right. Yeah, so so Qantas is, you know, it's an airline, uh, as you can imagine. It's been absolutely obliterated. Um, so, okay, so let me kind of frame why I like Qantas as opposed to some other airlines, right? So you, you really have to pick and choose uh, in the airline industry. So Qantas is Australia's national carrier. They've been around for 100 years. They've never filed. They've never been restructured. They've never had a fatality uh, in an accident. They're very proud of that safety record. It's very important. Um, most importantly of all these things, though, is the fact that the Australian market is is a pretty unique aviation market, right? So there are pockets of the aviation market worldwide that are very good, and most of the aviation market is highly competitive. But the Australian domestic aviation market is one of the juiciest markets in the world. Simply put, there's no competition. It's a duopoly now, and for many many uh, years it's been an uh, it's been a monopoly, right? Because a, a number of the other airlines that competed with Qantas went bankrupt over time. So my point is, if you are looking for bargains, I mean, you can look at you know things like American Airlines, which is more levered and is down more, um, but the fundamentals of the U.S. aviation market are probably less attractive than the Australian market, right? So I, I, I really want to fish in ponds where, you know, when we revert to normal or if we revert to normal, the upside because of the stru- market structure is, is absolutely massive. So Qantas, if you just take a look at the last kind of slide deck, you'll see what I'm talking about is true. Namely, they make close to two-thirds, call it 60% of their EBIT in a normalized environment from the domestic business. That encompasses both the Qantas business and and the LCC business, the low-cost carrier business, which is called Jetstar, which is is pretty unusual, right? The margins on their domestic business are in in the teens, whereas the margins on their international business are, you know, high single digits at the operating level. Um, so, so what that means is when, you know, Qantas announced recently, I mean, they announced yesterday, they're shutting 90% of the international capacity for a few months and they're taking their domestic capacity down 60%. So yes, the international routes will get decimated and they'll start losing a lot of money in the international business. But frankly, in a normalized environment, that's not where they made their money anyway. They made most of their money domestically. Uh, and then they also made around 20, 15 to 20% of their EBIT from their loyalty business, which probably will be less affected by the current crisis. Are you familiar with how loyalty businesses work? I, I am, but why don't you share with our listeners how, the, how those work? Yeah, so, so basically this is, um, this is kind of like the points business, right? So it's a float business where you, you know, obviously you accrue points over time and mile, you know, and Qantas expenses those points as they get accrued. Um, but they they only amortize into the P and L, and therefore a cash drag on on the on the cash flow statement when you exercise those uh, points, right? So it's kind of like a deferred liability is the way to think about it. 
So if you think about what's happening now, so all these flights are being cancelled and people are being told to stay in their houses. They're still spending though, right? So these points are created when they when you spend dollars, and it doesn't have to be just on flights or whatever. It's also at the you know their number one partner is Woolworths, for example, which is you know the second largest grocer and, and supermarket in Australia, right? So people are going to the supermarket, they're spending money, obviously, um, and they're generating points. Uh, which become the deferred liability, and they create cash for Qantas now that, you know, in return for a claim later on. So in a scenario like we see today, where very few people are actually exercising their points, but they're probably still spending a lot, or maybe they're not spending as much, especially if we go into a recession, uh, and they're not spending as much on, on travel and hotels, but they're definitely spending on, you know, groceries, they're definitely spending on on necessities, um, and they're probably not cancelling their credit cards, Right. In that, in that scenario, you know, earnings for the loyalty part of the business should actually be largely, I think, largely unaffected, uh, if not up. And the cash flow characteristics of that business will probably be superior to a normalized environment, simply because no one's redeeming their flights. Look, this isn't an argument to say this, you know, you should go out and buy this because the loyalty business will, will generate more cash than normal for a period of six months. It's just to show you that because such a large component of the earnings come from, come from, uh, non-explicit international travel, which is going to be most affected, this is more defensive. Probably this is more defensive than lots of other airline businesses. Still, that's not the reason why you should buy Qantas. You should you should buy Qantas because at $2.50 a share, which is where it's trading, um, I think you're buying it at around three and a half times, maybe four times normalized EBIT. And I think that EBIT number will go up aggressively in a normalized environment. And I say that for two reasons. One, their main competitor domestically is a company called Virgin Australia, and they're highly distressed, highly distressed. Um, they have a bit of liquidity, but if this crisis lasts for about six months, it's quite likely, in my view, that they disappear. And I don't think they would be bailed out because there have been other domestic competitors contests before that haven't been bailed out namely Ansett Australia, and this business has been undercapitalized and overlevered for a long period of time. So if that happens, it would basically guarantee two things. One, Qantas would have to be bailed out, right, because of the flag carrier, and then there'd be no other service to regional Australia if, if Qantas disappeared as well. That's just not going to happen. No. Uh, and two, when the environment does return to normal, it's a pure monopoly. And since Qantas already makes you know 60% of their EBIT from domestic, they would have free reign to charge whatever they like on domestic going forward on basically all the routes. And LCC is not an issue because they own the biggest LCC as well. So you have this massive structural improvement in the market through the cleansing of the, uh, of the aviation market in Australia. That's point one. Point two is fuel. So for any airline, I mean, this is more of a general point about the airlines, but for any airline where they can survive the current maelstrom, fuel has remarked from 50 bucks to 30 bucks, right? And it's very unlikely it goes back to 50 bucks anytime soon. So fuel is about 30% of the operating cost, total OPEX of an airline. Uh, that's the case for Qantas. It's slightly, yeah, I think it's uh, just slightly over 30% based on based on last year's numbers. So essentially, if you thought they were doing, so, and this business was doing around 1.6, 1.7 billion of EBIT in the last full year, now, if you think that fuel is going to normalize at $30, not $50, all of a sudden that EBIT number is much closer to $2 billion. And that's before the benefit of, you know, Air Virgin potentially dropping out on, you know, on a huge amount of that EBIT, as I suggested. So you, you have the situation where I don't even think normalized earnings 
historically are the right comp. I think Ernie's could kick up massively in a normalized environment post this, right? So when I say it's maybe three and a half, four times EBIT last year's EBIT or normalized EBIT the last four or five years, you know, I think this could be on maybe under three times EBIT um, for for the go forward business once once we get back to normal. So then the question just becomes, okay, how much damage is going to be done during the crisis, right? So this is this is the slightly hairy part of the analysis because they they do have some debt, so they have they have three and a half billion of net debt, which is about a turn of EBITDA. So again, based on normalized numbers, it's not an issue. Based on the current environment, it's you know three and a half billion of net debt, right? You'd prefer if they had no no net debt. But yeah. the reason I take the reason I take confidence is because one, there are no financial covenants on the debt, right? Uh, and two, the the maturity schedule isn't isn't terrible, right? It's pretty spread out over the next seven eight years, um, and they also have a few billion in unencumbered assets. So you know they you know there is there is some refinancing risk here and there, but again, my underlying assumption is that we don't you know people will get on a plane again at some point. This will probably happen sooner rather than later. By that I mean twenty twenty, not twenty twenty one. And in that scenario, the amount of cash they can burn in the international business, given that they're grounding the entire international fleet, I mean, look, they'll burn a bunch of cash. They might burn three, four hundred million of cash, and they'll take extraordinary costs, a lot of which will be cash, to pay people out. So maybe they'll burn five hundred million of cash plus this year. Um, but you know, they're not burning billions of dollars of cash, you know, a, a year, so to speak. So they're not changing the leverage profile of the business massively, assuming travel normalizes. You know, within the next six months, which which I think is a reasonable assumption. Right. So, look, it's not. It's you know, I think you're getting it at a decent, a very decent discount to liquidation value of the assets. The loyalty business alone, they uh, uh, Virgin Australia uh, actually uh, purchased a minority. I believe they purchased a minority stake in their loyalty business at 15 times EV EBITDA about two months ago, from a from a buying out a minority partner. So that's that's obviously a much inferior business hasn't grown as fast as Qantas's uh, and, and to a much weaker partner. But, you know, Qantas's loyalty business does a few hundred million in a few hundred million in EBIT a year. Membership numbers have gone, they've gone from six, six million or so eight years ago to 13 million, 13 and a half million last year. Essentially just grows every year. It's almost a growing annuity. So in anything other than the current environment, that business would command a huge premium, at least 10 times EBIT, maybe closer to 15 times EBIT or more. Uh, and, and on that basis, you're looking at a, you know, this business being worth multiple billions of dollars. Uh, and the market cap today is only $3.5 billion, right? So and I know there's debt on the business, right? So this is a hypothetical discussion. They would never sell that, at least they – unless, you know, things really got hairy. Right, if they were forced um, to sell it, but – well, I think I think before then they'd get a bail, a low interest rate bailout from the government, right? right. I mean, you, yeah, this isn't. This, this obviously isn't is all hypothetical. To, I'm, I'm just saying that. This, yeah, exactly. This is all hypothetical because you know there's at this point there's one full service airline in Australia, right? There isn't. This is not like Europe where there's a hundred different airlines, right? There's one full service airline in Australia, and Air New Zealand is essentially a regional service in New Zealand, and then they have Asian routes, some international routes as well. But Air New Zealand has no capacity to service Australia. So the idea that Qantas will disappear is inconceivable. It's more a question of how much damage will get done to the balance sheet between now and when we come out of this. Uh, and in that respect, I think you're buying the business at a go-forward valuation, maybe a third of what it's worth. 
right? So even if they do burn, even if my cash flow numbers are really wrong and they burn closer to a billion getting through this crisis, which is is possible, even though a lot of that would be working capital coming out of the business, um, even then, I, I, I don't think you're impaired, right? Uh, because I think they survive, and assuming they survive, it should trade much closer to a normal, even a low multiple of go-forward earnings estimates uh, would be what, you know, five, six, seven times EBIT. Yeah. And I think EBIT closer to two, uh, definitely above $2 billion in that scenario, maybe could push on to $2.5 billion in, in two years, um, you know, if Virgin Australia files, that is. Uh, and in that scenario, uh, yeah, the stock is, I mean, it's clearly a triple. Right. Uh, right to start to start so i kind of like that one just because it's it's a bit of a unique market structure i mean in some ways it's a bit similar to the japanese domestic market which is also duopolistic uh the problem with japan is i don't think either one of them is going to go out of business and they're not the most rational players so you have a duopoly but not a particularly profitable duopoly. Whereas in a normal environment in Australia, the domestic domestic aviation market was putting up mid-teens margin. Even the LCC was putting up mid-teens operating margins. I mean, these are world-beating margins. They're basically the highest aviation. Outside of Ryanair, these are the highest EBIT margins in the world. Um, so it's in, fundamentally a very strong business, assuming coronavirus, you know, assuming no coronavirus, right? So as opposed to other parts of the aviation space where they've always been very competitive markets and you don't really know. I mean, you know, the U.S. market has been very good in recent years, but it's also had some very horrible years with lots of bankruptcies going back a couple of decades. You know, Qantas domestic business has been a very strong business essentially as long as I've been watching the market. Um, so so I, I do like that a lot. Interesting. All right, Jeremy. Uh, any any other last words, or you think we're uh, you think you're all set with, with Qantas? I think we're good, man. I think we're good. Cool. Just make sure just make sure you can um, weather the near term volatility. So no no buying on margin. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. All right. Well, cool. you have a, a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk Thanks, later. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.